Well, that's kind. I realized it's been a minute since I played. Thank you for being here with us today. I hope that in this time together and in this time in the Word of God, that there's an encouragement for our heart. Maybe even a strengthening of where we can acknowledge the truth of that song. The lack of peace on earth, the lack of peace in our workplaces, on our campuses, in our homes, in my own head. They feel like they can mock the song of peace on earth. They feel like they can mock the song of goodwill toward those on whom his favor rests, as scripture says. The text of that Christmas hymn comes from the famous poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's put out by Sight and Sound called I Heard the Bells. I recommend it, especially if you're a fan like I am of, of kind of genre movies. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie um, The Man Who Admitted Christmas. Uh, it very much feels like that where it's kind of this period piece and telling the story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. But just to give a brief overview of the history of Longfellow's life, he was a child prodigy. He, he began school at the age of three, much like all of us, right? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I need to go back. He was reading classical literature, writing poems by age six, so parents, obviously, he is the standard that you should be ma- managing your, your, measuring your parenting against. By 19, he had graduated college. He was made a professor of modern language at the college that he was at, soon to be moved over to be a professor at Harvard University. At 27, Longfellow had already become a very respected scholar and a well-published scholar as well. Uh, He had a beautiful wife. He had a loving home that overlooked the Charles River. And it seemed like life was, well, life was just good until his first wife became ill and died. Uh, Seven years later, he remarried, and with his second wife, they had five children. Of course, during this time, he achieved great wealth and fame, honorary doctorates from Oxford and from Cambridge, and then his second wife died tragically from a fire where she was lighting candles and her clothing lit on fire, and she passed. As a matter of fact, Trying to extinguish the flames, Longfellow himself was severely burned, and from then on he grew a beard out uh, so that it would conceal the scars on his face. Now, I don't have burns, but I have chins, and so somebody told me recently to, to lose the beard, and I said, no, there's too many chins that would be revealed if I did that. In 1863, he wrote the poem, Christmas Bells which became the carol I just sang. It's a dark poem if you think about it. it if it weren't for the final stanza of it, there, there really wouldn't be much hope that comes to us through that carol, which is probably why you don't hear it on the radio a ton. There were actually some original stanzas of the song that spoke of cannons with black accursed mouth rending the continent like an earthquake, drowning out peace on earth. You see, because while this song was written, the civil war in America raged on, and his son would go on to be severely injured for life in that war. But there was a Christmas day when the ringing out, the pealing of 
the church bells reminded him that there is hope to be found in God alone. There is hope to be found in a living God. And Longfellow, in, in, even in light of all of the circumstances that he had walked through, Longfellow was reminded of that, and that's when he penned this hymn. Now, around 10 years later, uh, John Baptiste Calkin, uh, born into a musical family, writing a lot of uh, transcriptions and organ pieces, scoring many arrangements for strings and, and sonatas, would actually be the one who adds the tune to Longfellow's hymn. But this hymn reminds us of an eternal reality, not necessarily a present reality. But it reminds us there may be circumstances in your life that cause you to identify with the words, in despair I bowed my head. Life can be cruel. And on a day like today, it can seem exaggerated in ways that are just hard to articulate. But God places something far better than bells in our lives when our peace is gone. And that's what we remember this morning. And so this Christmas hymn, along with the testimony of a broken poet from over 100 years ago, it encouraged us that God is not dead and he is not asleep. And it made me think of these words from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, would you bring your word to life in our life today? May this be the greatest gift that we receive this Christmas is an unburdening of our hearts, an easing and a calming of our minds, and a strengthening of our bodies that we may live for your glory alone. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of the most memorable uh, messianic expectations from the book of Isaiah. It might be one of the most memorable in all of Scripture. There are times where we don't necessarily think about the connection between for unto us a child is born and the tumult that that child is born into. Often we will just focus on the unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And that's the crescendo to be sure. 
but it's a crescendo because it comes out of the trial of verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You know, there's something that we should recognize on this Christmas morning, and that is this, that the light of Christ coming to earth is the revelation of God's plan of redemption. So there's a revelation that happens in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It's a revelation that I pray that you have experienced this morning, and if you have not, I pray that you, you experience it as we go through this passage this morning. There's a revelation of light shining into darkness. Does, does your mind seem like it's filled with darkness? Does your heart feel burdened by the darkness that you experience? This morning that you just can't wait until it's daytime because nighttime you may, you may not struggle with sundowners but you have sundowners of the soul where all of a sudden when the darkness comes in it just seems like you are lost and without hope. There's a revelation this morning of Christ coming to earth that is like light to that darkness and no matter what the sun's posture in the sky is the light of Christ can shine into the darkness of your mind and of your heart. This morning, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. There is revelation for you in Jesus Christ this morning. And there's a restoration of something. That's what verse 3 goes on to speak of. Isaiah uh, 9.3 says this, You have multiplied the nation. So in other words, it's not just that you don't have to live in that darkness. It's not just that you don't have to have that state of mind or that, that burden of heart. It's that there is a restoration of purpose for you and a fruitfulness that can come from your life. You have multiplied the nation. That's the work of this one who is being revealed to us today. You increase the joy that we would rejoice before him as those who are in joy of the harvest. I had the opportunity over the summer to be with some friends up in Minneota, Minnesota. And it was cold even then. Can't imagine it today. But they're farmers. There's, within about 11 miles of their church building... There's less than 10,000 people because of how much land there is. So we jokingly have said that they actually have reached close to 10% of their, their county because of how many people attend the church. But they understand what it means to rejoice with the harvest. Their church calendar is actually affected by harvest time. There's a conference that we host here in February at the church that used to happen in November, October, November time. And they kind of raised their hand and said, would, would you mind if we move that? Uh, sure, but what's up? Well, there, that's harvest. That's three weeks of being at the plow. That's from the time that light breaks till the time that light goes away for the evening. That's work in the fields. And then when that time is over, to hear their stories of what it's like to celebrate when the time of harvest is done. Do you realize that can be the life that you and I lead as well? That we can have a joy restored to us through Jesus Christ and the purpose that he gives us in our lives. Now, why would we need to be restored? Why would we need this revelation to begin with? Well, Verses 4 and 5 show us the rescue that is needed. 
So we've seen in verse 2 the revelation. We see in verse 3 his restoration. But we see in verses 4 and 5 the rescue that he brings to us. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day at Midian. This is talking about we are at war in our own souls, aren't we? We are at war in our own souls. And it's Christ who is the one that comes to rescue us. But listen to the words here, burden, the rod of the oppressor. I don't think that we have to look outside of ourselves to realize that we have an enemy. At times in our own mind, in our own heart, we have an enemy who is seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. It goes on in verse 5 to say, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This sounds like a tragic day. And what it's revealing to us is the rescue that comes through Jesus Christ. And then there's this, there's this aspect of verses 6 and 7 that just resonate with our souls, don't they? Yes, we, we see his revelation. Yes, we understand about restoration. Yes, we see our need for rescue. But our souls resonate with these words. For unto us a child is born. You know, it takes a, a mighty Savior that after hearing about blood and war and burning and oppressor and burden, that a baby be the one that gives us hope. That takes a mighty Savior. This isn't, no, no common man is going to do here. No even mighty warrior, no, no Samson-level warrior and strength is needed here. No, something far greater than that is needed if it's a baby who brings us hope. But listen how this baby is described. He will be a son that is given to us, that the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be the Mighty God. He will be our Everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Now, any one of those things sounds wonderful, but one by itself is not enough. Think about it this way. We might think of characters in history who have been advocates for peace. And they actually win an award called the Nobel Peace Prize. They're an advocate for peace, but they are not the ones who can themselves accomplish peace. So philosophers and those who give themselves to literature, those who give themselves to the arts, those who give themselves to, to the studies of sciences, those who give themselves to the study of mathematics, in and of themselves they can accomplish one aspect of the divine character of this one child given to us today. No, it requires all of them. It requires the Prince of Peace who can accomplish peace. It requires a counselor for us whose counsel is divine, not based on the wisdom of the world. It requires a father for us who will never go away, who is a perfect father to us. It requires a mighty God. So when we see all of these things describing this baby that comes to us, we understand how it is that a baby is what brings us hope out of the sense of darkness and burden and oppression and blood and toil and battle and fire. 
See, all of these things describing one man describes the character of his divinity. His ability not only to come and to bring peace, to speak peace, but to accomplish peace that we cannot ourselves accomplish. A peace with God. See, this is the Davidic king that is to come. He's the one that has been been spoken of all the way back from Genesis 1.28 when humanity was entrusted with a kingly role of subduing the earth, having dominion over creation, it says. But after Adam, who we might think of almost as our first king, he failed in that calling. He failed in his role. But God promises a true and better king would come to conquer evil, to restore our role over the earth, as we saw in verse 9-3. And history throughout Scripture shows us this zeroing in on the line of David, the royal line of David. But Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 shows us that our hope is not sustained in worldly victories. Our hope is sustained the promised son who would rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom. That's what these verses tell us. He will be the one who rules on the throne of David and over his kingdom, it says in Isaiah 9-7. As a matter of fact, if we point forward to what is coming for us one day, this Jesus, the son of David, he is the one who is now enthroned, as Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule and other authorities. And he shall reign forever and ever, Revelation eleven fifteen tells us. So there's a gospel truth that Christmas time brings us. Jesus is the one who is the king who establishes his kingdom. And the gospel makes it clear. It's his justice and his righteousness that we truly long for. It makes it clear that because of our sin, we are dependent on rescue and the gift of God's righteousness to us. We need Christ to bear our sin. We need God to credit Christ's righteousness to our account. And then we're united to Christ by His Spirit. We're the ones that make up the church. We're the ones who are now marked by the characteristics of this Christ that we follow. Justice, mercy, righteousness, wisdom, peace. Let those be a gift to you today. May we be as a people not known for what we've been rescued from but known for what we've been rescued to, that we would be known by love. We would be known by love. The love that we have received from God that we gladly extend to others. You know, I use the word resonate for Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and it made me think about the death of Queen Elizabeth this year. I don't know how much you watched that. I while I do not want her to be my monarch, I was fascinated by the process. As, as an entire nation became in sync with one another in really unique ways, like the toll of bells at particular times to mark her passing, the 96 
times that Big Ben chimed during her service to mark each year of her life. There actually was an article about bell ringers, and one in particular, Chris Stanley, that I came across. The days since the death of Queen Elizabeth II have been momentous for bell ringers, the article tells us. And this man, Chris Stanley, is a man who has been charged with overseeing the practice of bell ringing in his particular city of Bristol. But there was something that they did in ringing these bells that had a particular significance at this time of year. They, they muffled the bells. They muffled the bells. They're actually leather patches. They're known as muffles. They're used to dull the sound of each bell because of how often they would ring. So Mr. Stanley, a consultant for pensions by trade, was the chairman of the Bristol branch of the Gloucestershire and Bristol Diocesan Associate of Church Bell Ringers. That's easy enough for me to say this morning. I only had one cup of coffee before this thing started, so you'll have to excuse me. If that was a tongue, I hope it was interpreted in your soul. They had been called to action at the death of Queen Elizabeth. They have a significant role in marking her death. When Chris said that when Queen Elizabeth II died, that a protocol put them into action stations for him and his fellow ringers. And it would actually dictate all of the bells should be rung at noon the following day. That was the, kind of the beginning of their role. Do you realize that for those who receive Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord, there's something quite opposite of what we read in this article that happens for us. The mutes of our lives are removed at the death of Jesus Christ. The muting of the bell of our lives is gone. Our true resonant tone comes through his redemption. Our, God, our lives should be lived full peel for the glory of God. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who sustains us. I, I might say it like this. In the same way you strike a bell to ring out its tone, as the good news of a Savior strikes our lives, we resonate with His love toward others. So how do we go about doing this? Let's make it practical, even just for today. We might sum up the gospel like this in four words, and, and my hope is that this equips you for whatever gatherings you may have the opportunity to be a part of today, but not just for today, that this equips us as a church to be able to, to have this as something that we can share with others. We might sum the gospel up in four words, that in the beginning was the word at creation. So the first word would be creation. The word was with God, the word was God, and all was made through him, and God said, let us create man in our own image. We were created to resonate his love. Creation. Fall. Second word is fall. God spoke warnings to man that man ignored. Then, just like we do now. And that sin sentences us to death. 
That sin sentences us for an eternity in Isaiah 9, 2, 4, and 5. Darkness, burden, oppressor, battle, blood, burned in fire. There was a fall. So our creation and our purpose comes to a fallen state. But God in his rich love saves us. He gives us freely his son. He tells us to listen to him. He he tells us he is the one who has the words of eternal life. Buying our lives back from our enslavement to sin to be sons and daughters of God. So we have our third word, redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. Oh, and hear the beautiful news of hope and purpose and meaning in this last word, renewal. Renewal. When we hold fast to God's word, it transforms our character to that of Christ's until he returns The word of God made flesh, now seated at the right hand of God. His robe, dipped in blood, returns to make all things new. Renewal. So we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, and renewal. I wonder today, I wonder this week, this month coming up, this new year, how often those four words we might be able to fit into conversation in some way. As people bemoan headlines, as people bemoan family dynamics, bemoan broken relationships with one another, where might we resonate with the love of Christ in talking about the truth of, cre- of, re- of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal? As we stand together and close, I thought it might be helpful. This is not something that we typically do as a part of our services, but I thought it might be helpful. Just go ahead and stand with me. I want to do a a corporate reading before we sing our closing songs. And so there will be a call and a response for us. So it might go like this. God, we worship you remembering Zacharias' word. You have visited us in tender mercy and accomplished redemption for your people. O come, let us adore him. We worship with Anna, looking for a redeemer whose ransom would purchase our release from the guilt and punishment of sin. Let the redeemed adore him. We worship with Simeon, longing for Israel's comforter to come forth, the Gentiles' light of revelation upon those sitting in darkness. Let the comforted adore him. We worship with Mary and labor with the laden lifter, one delivered to deliver us from sin's distress. Let the unburdened adore him. We worship with flock watchers, hearing good news of great joy for all people, a good shepherd, a sacrificial lamb born unto us. Let those who know his voice adore him. 
We worship with wise men in awe and wonder, rejoicing with great joy upon finding the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Let the joyful adore Him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Him. Though arriving at night, He proclaimed recovery of sight, salvation alighting at last upon prisoners of the dark. Let the forgiven adore Him. Father, our sin bore grim news of great misery, but good news of great joy. The promised Savior is here, laying himself down in a manger and meekness, souls saved from separation wrought by sin. We are redeemed, then reconciled, then brought back in. Because of Christmas gift laid under the stars, wrapped in humility, We are branches grafted into Christ's family tree, restored to relationship with our Father. We are home. Father, we recall how you affectionately desired us when we desired you not. You shared with us your only Son, our Redeemer, Jesus, May we share Christmas words, good news of great joy. Christ with us and for us with everyone we meet. Father, the lost are dear to you. May they become clearer to us. Send us and spend us for them. Affectionately ready to share your gospel. May they be on the eve of redemption. We plead with you, come in power. Open hearts to your gift of salvation. Let light shine in the darkness, giving knowledge of your glory. In the face of Jesus Christ, O come, let more of us adore him. Father, this is our prayer today. Love came down to earth and made his home with man. The hopeless found a hope, the sinner found a friend. Not to the powerful, but to the poor he came. And humble, hungry hearts were satisfied. What joy, what peace has come to us? What hope, what hell, what When every Yeah.
God has brought us peace. What joy, what peace has come to us. What hope, what
Father God, we pray today, this day that we celebrate your coming to earth, and we pause to reflect. May there be revelation for each one of us. May there be restoration. May we understand our rescue. And may our lives resonate your love, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can we hear these words from Numbers as we go out today? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may God bless you as you live for his glory. Merry Christmas. Thank you.